Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6. So good to have you here this morning. I know we have uh, uh, many who are here to support loved ones in baptism. And it's so good to have you here this morning to be a part of our service. And uh, we hope you've been made to feel welcome as you've been here this morning. Well, let me just say this. This afternoon at 4.30, we're going to have a very important meeting uh, for those of you who have questions about our church's name change. Uh, many of you remember back in June, we voted to change the name of the church. Uh, we put together a committee made up of all ages within our student, uh, student ministry, within our, our, our body here. The student ministry probably would have had a whole different name. But anyway, uh, we, we do have that name that has, was presented last Sunday, Pleasant City Church. And uh, so we'll be uh, talking about that. If you have any questions surrounding the name of the church, uh, we will have the committee there. The deacons will be there and the pastors will be there. Uh, this afternoon at 4.30. So if you have any questions, uh, maybe you thought about voting no for it, come here, if, especially you guys. If, maybe you don't like it or whatever, come, come tonight. We, we'd love to explain more about what originated with the name and how we came about it. So we'd love to have you concerning that. Romans chapter 6. Today we're continuing the series, Royal Invitation. For those who, don't, who do not know it, we're working verse by verse through the book of Romans. Uh, and today we're going to build on last week's sermon. Uh, last week, we looked at the facts of salvation. Today, we're looking at the acts of salvation. Now, let me just say this. If you get the information that I talked about last week, we're going to review some of last week to get us into where we are today. It will totally transform your life. If you will take what I'm talking to you about this morning and let it sink in and let God do a work through your life and let the Holy Spirit lead you, I guarantee you it will transform how you live your life. Now, how many of you are familiar with uh, a, a verse in the Bible called Galatians 2.20? Anybody familiar with that verse? Some of you have it memorized. Many people say, or many scholars say, that Romans chapter 6 is a commentary of that one verse. Now, look at this verse. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life, I, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now that, as, as we work our way through the verses we're looking at today, you will see that it addresses that one verse. So if you will, look at the introduction on your outline. When we die in Christ, our old sin nature dies. However, that does not mean it was destroyed. We still have a sin nature, but it is rendered powerless. Therefore, we can choose with help to do what is right. Now, let me just say this. I'm not saying, and, and many of you are, have a living testimony of this. Uh, how many of you agree that even after you become a Christian, there's that propensity to sin? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. All, all of you raise your hand are sinners. And so as a result of that, we need to address what that means. And that's what we're going to attempt to do this morning. So look at your outline. Two great truths concerning our salvation. First of all, there's something called positional truth. We talked about this last week. And it's that whole idea of what God says about me. And so therefore, when I come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I accept him on his terms, then, then what happens in me is there's a whole new me that takes over. And we see that in scripture. The Bible says, for I am a new creation, a new creation. So it means something that's never existed before. And so therefore, with that positional truth comes the idea of what God now says about me. Now, let me say this. The Bible says that once you are saved, think of this now, your sins are completely forgiven. 
Now, how many of you, that just still blows your mind? You've heard it all your life, but your sins are completely forgiven. Positionally, that's where you are. But experientially, some of you are still, as I said last week, still living under the guilt and the shame of that sin. Now, let me say this. For some of you, it may be nothing more than you can't forgive yourself for something you did back there in the past. But let me just tell you this. That's not how God sees you. The Bible says now, now that you know Jesus Christ, that he sees you as perfect. That's positionally who you are. So the key now is to live what he says about you, that you are perfect, that God's made provision for your sin. So what's the next truth? Look on your outline. It's something called experiential truth. And that is the way, that's living the way God sees you. So positionally, that's what, how God sees you. But experientially, that's living the way God sees you. Now, how can you experience in your life what God says is true of you? If God says you are free from and dead to sin, how do you experience that? So look on your outline. There's three great musts concerning our salvation. To experience what God says is true, here's the first thing. We must know it. We must know it. You got to know what God's word says about who you are now in Christ. That's the reason discipleship is so important. That's the reason we need to understand who we are in him. So if you look at Romans chapter six, verse one, here's what Paul says. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now he's taking up from the last verses of chapter five, but he says, certainly not. He says, no, we don't continue to sin, but how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were, as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, this implies that you, if you are sinning, then it's the whole idea that you're living contrary to what God says about you and the way God sees you. And so therefore, for a Christian to sin, you're living a life that is a contradiction, as I said last week. So therefore, how do we, what happens next? After we know something, what happens next? Well, we must believe it. Then we got to start believing it. Now, how many of you know it's one thing to know something and it's another thing to believe something? It is. It's like another step. And so look at verse four of Romans chapter six. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, just a moment ago, we had the perfect illustration for this verse. These who came together for baptism, that it was a picture of what I just read to you. It's the whole idea that now we're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the fact we go under the water, we're identifying with this death and burial. But we're not only identifying with the death and burial there, we're also dealing with the whole idea of it as it relates to sin. We are now dead to sin and raised to walk in the newness of life for this new life that's been provided for us. And so we see that we believe it. Now look at verse five. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, some translations say believing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now think about that one verse. It's the whole idea that positionally he's calling it what it is. 
That's how we are to live. That's how we are to be. But the question is, how are we experiencing? Are we experiencing the truth that's brought up in this, in this verse? So, for he who died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 9, knowing or believing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. There's no point in him dying anymore. It's not one of them cases where uh, every time we sin, Christ has to die on the cross again. That's, that's not the picture here. It's been settled. That sacrifice has been accepted by God himself, and it's made us right before a holy God. And so therefore, it's been done. It's been taken care of. So really what Paul's trying to set, tell us here is positionally, this is where you are. But are you, are you, is this your reality? Are you experiencing this? Are you living it experientially? So death no longer has a dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the light that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon or believe yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, this is the whole idea of knowing something and believing something. But then there's a third thing that must happen, and it's the fact that we must apply it. We must apply it. It needs to become so real in our lives that we believe it so much that it becomes the reality in which we live. Look at how he talks about it in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, how many of you would agree that we have a mortal body? We have a mortal body. And the fact is, I'm gonna really encourage you in the next couple of statements, this body's gonna die. Okay, how many of you encouraged so far? But not only that, it's not only going to die. I mean, I hate to tell you that, but that's the fact. It is right now dying. We are all dying right now. How many of you are just so encouraged by the word that you were brought this morning? <laughs> but it's true. It is the whole idea that this mortal body is going to be laid down. And so he's saying, look at, look at how he's phrasing this. He's basically saying, acknowledge this, that, they, that we have a, a mortal body that you, should not, that you should not obey in its lust. And do not present your members. What are members? It's, it's the way you can uh, see the world. It's the way you interact with the world through the flesh. It may be through your hands or your feet, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, your heart even. He says, don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteous, righteousness to God. Now, here's, here's the reality. We have a mortal body, but we can live above even what the body produces. The, this body is gonna produce death, but guess what? We can live above that. This body is full of flesh that's enticed by the things of this world, but we can live above that. And that's what he's saying. Positionally, that's what you were called to be. That's how, how you're described in scripture. But experientially, is that your reality? Then he says this, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. And we'll look at that in just a moment. So here it is. You've got, to know, you've, got, you've got to know it, you've got to believe it, and then you've got to apply it. Oswald Chambers, how many of you have heard of him? How many of you heard of the devotional utmost for his highest? You ever heard of that one? 
It's the one that you have to read twice to even understand what you're reading. Okay, if you've ever read it, you know what I'm talking about. But here's what he said. This is one of the greatest statements I've ever heard. Listen to this. Or look here on the screen. The greatest moment in your life is when you decide that sin must die in you. Not simply restrained, suppressed, or counteracted, but must be crucified. Crucified. It must, it must die. It's a picture of a deliberate death. Now, how many of you have read the account of Jesus' crucifixion? Would you say that was a pretty deliberate death? Yes, the intention was, was for, for life to end and, and it be destroyed, that life. And, and that's the whole picture of what we see that we need to be looking at when it comes to sin in itself. Now, this is going to lead us to where I want to go this morning. How many of you like all that for introduction? Now we're ready, okay? So here we are. This leads us to the three great acts concerning our salvation. Now, as I shared with you in the introduction... When we die in Christ to our old nature, it doesn't mean it was destroyed. Now, let's see how honest you are. How many of you have, seen, how many of you have sinned in the last 24 hours? Let's see the hands. Sinners. Good Lord, look at all the sinners. You sin. I mean, it, sin is alive and well, isn't it? Whether it's your attitude, whether it's something you thought about something, whether it's something you said. I mean, it could go on and on and on and on. Now, here's what we need to understand. If, if that sin nature is supposed to die, why is it that we continue to sin? Why is it that we sin to, tend to see it? We still have it. Listen, we still have a sin nature, but the Bible says it can be rendered powerless. How do you go about doing that? This means we now have a choice. Our sin nature does not have to control us. We can choose to do what's right. Therefore, the Christian, listen to this, can never say, the devil made me do it. How many of you ever met a child that was really educated in the things of, of the word? You ever met a child? I've, I've seen children use that line. The devil made me do it. You go to them about something they did. They'll, they'll use it. The, the sad thing, the real sad thing is I've heard adults say it. But here's something else we need to realize. Someone, we can't, a Christian can't really say this either. I guess my flesh's appetite was just too great. You see, so many times we, we, we want to put it off on something else, but the Bible says we, we choose to sin. Now, let me tell you what happens when a Christian sins. When a Christian sins, here's what they literally have to do. They have to step over what is called conviction. They literally have to step over it. Now, where's the conviction come from? Well, it comes from knowing God's word, but practically it comes from the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when we give our life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. Therefore, when the, opportunity to, when the opportunity to sin introduces itself or comes to us in the way of temptation, for us to go into that temptation and, and, and then fall into that sin or go into that sin, we literally have to step over the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you know exactly what I'm talking about? That little voice, that little thing that says, no, don't go there, don't go there. But here's a sad thing. We can flirt with sin, a particular sin, so much that we barely even hear what the Holy Spirit says. I would ask for a show of hands, but we won't get that personal. But here's what it looks like to me or how it's been in my life. Suppose there's a temptation that the enemy puts forward or the world puts forward or my flesh wants to go with. And all of a sudden, I look at that and I see it as sin. Listen, my first encounter with that sin, at least the way it's played out in my own life, 
is like the Holy Spirit say, don't go there. But if I keep going there and keep going there and keep entertaining that sin and rationalizing that sin and uh, trying to convince myself, it'll be okay. It, it won't hurt me. It won't. Guess what? That voice gets, gets softer and softer and softer and softer until it, it really doesn't have any impact in my life because I've literally quietened, quiet, quieted. Anyway, I've made quiet the voice of the Holy Spirit or even the pressure of conviction. And you see, that's what happens in the life of a Christian. That's the reason I'll have someone come into my office or, and you've heard me say this before. Now, here's what they'll say. I, I had no idea I was capable of doing that. I had no idea I was capable. You know what they did? They flirted with sin. They, they, they rationalized the sin. It started small and it got bigger and bigger. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. So the three great acts concerning our salvation. First of all, there's the whole idea of reckon. Reckon. It means believing God will lead to victory. Believing God will lead to victory. The word reckon in verse 11 is really a business term. It's, it's actually uh, economics. It's, it's, it's more than just mere knowledge. It means for me to believe something, I have calculated it. I have computed it. I have um, uh, counted it. I've considered it in such a way that I now believe it. And that's the belief that we find in Scripture. So it's not just, oh, I believe that. It's, it's really counting it and calculating it. Paul was saying that sin does not have, have to have any effect on you. You can count on it. But look at your outline. He's saying for us to reckon it and to believe that the way God sees it, we are to be dead to sin in Christ. Look at verse 11 of chapter 6. Likewise, you also reckon or believe yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. So therefore, sin introduces itself to you. Maybe it's by way of temptation. And so how do you deal with it? You don't sit there and say, well, that wouldn't be so bad or man, I sure would like to be a part of that or, or, or just sit there and just, no, what do you do? You, you, you put it to death. How do you put it to death? In Christ, in Christ. You see, that's the key. When it says in Christ, it means we are identifying with this death, burial, and resurrection. That means this. That means this, the, the resurrection, listen, this will blow your mind. That means that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, listen, because the Holy Spirit lives within us, that same power can rest in us. Now, does that not blow your mind? That, that's the capability that we have to stand against sin because we identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. The whole idea of being in Christ is it's not only our identity, it's also how we can operate. And so therefore, the power of the resurrection is there. So we are to be dead to sin as he was dead to sin. We're identifying with how he dealt with it. But then it says, alive to God in Christ. So look at verse 11, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we are to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. Now, this is the key to experiencing God. It is to move beyond believing a head knowledge of facts to living truth, a heart matter when it deals with passion. How many of you ever heard someone make a statement like this? Well, they're probably going to miss heaven by what? 18 inches. And that's the distance between, I guess, most people's head or their brain and their heart. And, and that's so true. Because it's one thing to have it here where I know it. I may even believe it. But it's another thing to live it out 
and to identify with it in such a way that it's not just positional truth that works in you, it's experiential truth. And that's what God desires through us. So practically, what does it mean to believe, to be alive to God in Christ? It means to live experientially, listen, what Christ provides in your salvation. And there's three things. These are not on your outline, okay? But here they are. First of all, because of what Christ provides in salvation, we can have confidence that we cannot sin our way out of God's grace. Do you get that? We can't sin our way out of God's grace. For the believer who's come to Christ on, on God's terms, if I came to know him, the Holy Spirit now lives within me, guess what? I can't sin my way out of that. How many of you find that comforting? But it's not a license to sin. It's the whole idea that that, that that grace covers that. Secondly, we have confidence that being alive to God and that whatever happens in our life, listen, God can use it for our good and his glory. There's some of you sitting here today, and let's just face it, you're mad at God. You're mad at God. I know that because I, I talk to people all the time. Maybe there's something that's come into your life. Maybe it's a wayward child or a grandchild that's breaking your heart. Maybe it's some kind of health condition that you're dealing with. Why me, God? Maybe it's a circumstance you're dealing with. Maybe it's career-oriented, and you can't figure out why is God not blessing me in this area? He seems to be blessing everybody else. Why not me? Now, let me just tell you this. I don't know the answer to probably anything that you're dealing with, but I can tell you this based on the authority of Scripture. What you're going through will eventually be for your good. Some of you are sitting there saying, nah, I don't see it. Second of all, it's, it's intended to bring him glory. And you see, we can count on that. But thirdly, we can have confidence that we'll be able to stand in the midst of temptation. Now, let me just tell you something about temptation. Did you know that it's not a sin to be tempted? Who was the one that lived the perfect life? Jesus. You know what the Bible says about him? He was tempted 40 days and 40 nights. You ever been tempted that long? I'm worn out after five minutes of temptation. And sometimes it's just standing there at the grocery line, just looking at the things that are around you. That, you know why they put things there like that? Because the, most of the things they put right there at it is intended to get your intention to tempt you to buy it. <laughs> And so, and so therefore, 40 days and 40 nights, and then we go to Hebrews, and the Bible says that he was tempted in every way. So, so here's what you need to understand about Jesus. Temptation visited him, but yet it was not him sinning in which temptation came to him. He never, listen, cashed in on the temptation. He, he never did. He never caved like we do so many times. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. Now, here's what it's saying. We, sometimes the enemy, here's what he'll do in your mind. He'll try to say that only you have ever gone through anything like this. He'll try to isolate you in your mind. He'll say, he'll, he'll pitch it to you in such a way that no one's ever been through this. And, and, and you... But here's what we need to understand. Jesus was tempted in every way, every way that we are. But not only that, we're all tempted in the same ways. We are. We're on the same boat. He's saying it's all there. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. 
He's not going to allow you to get to the point where you don't have that resurrection power that can overcome whatever he throws at you. That, that stinking attitude, that, that reaction that you had or, or that action or that temptation which you just felt like you deserved what you wanted. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. It literally means that you may be able to stand up against it. That's the resurrection power that rests in all of us. So reckon means to consider and believe what God says is true. But second of all, there's a whole idea of resist. Fighting sin will lead to victory. The bottom line is this. If I really believe I am in Christ, my old sin nature was crucified on the cross, I no longer have to give in to sin. I can choose. I then have a new power in my life to quit giving into that temptation. Paul is saying, resist sin. He's also saying this, don't let sin go unchallenged. The problem with many of us living in this day and age is we don't challenge the sin and the temptation that comes to us. You know what we do? Everyone else is doing it. All the celebrities are doing it. I mean, good night, the politicians are doing it. Look at the people I'm surrounded with. They're all doing it. And therefore, sin and its temptation, or temptation and its sin, goes unchallenged. It's always never a good idea. First of all, look on your outline. We see sin's controlling nature. Look at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it take up its dwelling place. Don't don't, don't give the enemy grounds to come in and set up a mode of operation in your life where he can, all he's got to do is put certain things in front of you and you'll always react. He can count on you always sinning with that particular temptation. Don't give him that. Next, sin's craving nature. Look at verse 12 again. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. Let me give you an example of what this could look like. You don't have to raise your hand. Any of you ever been on a diet? I, I, I was blessed for the first 37 years of my life. I could eat anything I wanted to. I really could. I couldn't gain a pound if I wanted to. Up to 37, I mean, my digestive system, it, it would digest cheese fries. It would di I mean, anything you threw in this thing, it, it could handle it. By age 42, I was the heaviest I ever weighed in my life. Tipped the scales around 210. Some of you were saying, oh, that's nothing. Yeah, I see you out there. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, I started having to really work at this. First 37 years, wasn't a problem. Then I knew what it meant to be on a diet. So the question this morning is, is anybody on a diet this morning? If so, what does this do to you? Here you go, right here. Hershey bar with almonds. My favorite. This is my favorite right here. I looked it up, and it says, servings are three blocks. You ever seen these things that have blocks in them? Guess what it comes to? Almost 1,100 calories. Right here. Any takers? Some of your diets call, this is two days of eating right here. Yeah, you, no, you're not getting it. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, think about that. But you know what we do? 
Here's what we do. Well, I know I shouldn't do that one. Surely this one won't be a problem. We cut it by a third, don't we? I mean, it's the same thing. It's right there. And then for some of us, it's like, no, I'm better than that. This will work. This will be okay. Now, let me tell you about sin's craving. Here's really how it works. That's the way you look at it on a diet, maybe. But this is how the enemy works. I know this because I've had personal experience. Here's what he'll do. He'll tempt you starting here. He, start, he hardly ever starts here. He starts right here. And here's, and here's, here's, our, here, here it is. here's how we think sometimes. Surely that won't hurt anything. It's just a couple bites. And so he pitches it towards you. And all of a sudden, you buy in. Do you realize that immediately this no longer becomes enough? Have you sinned enough to know that? Am I the only one that knows this? And then all of a sudden, this comes on the, the market. This is the temptation. And all of a sudden, we're past this, but sin's craving, it's desire, it wants more. It's never satisfied. And before long, we're, we're going here. And, and it doesn't stop there. We're going here. And let's let this represent that thing that we never dream we are capable of doing, and we do it. It didn't start here. It started here. And so when we think of temptation and we think of all that the enemy's capable of doing and what our flesh is capable of doing, we need to be reminded that our approach to sin as it relates to temptation is we don't negotiate with it. We don't rationalize with it. We crucify it. We bring it to a deliberate death. And for some of you here this morning, you know where you are? You're borderline going here today. And this is a place you never dreamed, maybe a year ago, three years ago, you'd ever go. But you followed the system, and you followed the craving, and that's where it's led you. You, you need to pay attention to what's going on. Paul says this about the mortal body. Here's, here's what he says. And everyone who competes for the prize, he's talking about the whole idea of living the reality of eternity. The reality of living what God says about you. But here, here it is. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. That means there's self-restraint. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. He's talking about those who maybe even prepare for the Olympics. And they're, they're putting everything they got into it. I mean, they, every day is a workout. Eight hours a day, eating 26,000 calories. Some of the swimmers, they say, eat. And it goes on and on and on and all, the, all those things. And so but they do it for a perishable crown, something that will be recognized in this life. But we for an imperishable crown. So my question to you is this. How are you living today in such a way that it's going to pay something over here in the future? Listen to what he says next. He says, therefore, Paul says, I run thus, not with uncertainty. I, I know where I'm running. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Paul's saying this about his life. He's not just going through the motions. You understand what I'm saying? Did you know sitting right here today could be going through the motions? Did, did you know that? Here's the way some people live their Christian life, and, and, and they believe this is enough. Well, went to church this morning, check. Surely God's pleased with that right there. I know something now I didn't know before. I'm borderline believing it, but not applying it. 
doesn't mean anything. It's just going through the motions. Waking up to read your Bible verse or your Bible chapter. Maybe you're very spiritual. You read a whole chapter a day. And you got it all, and here it is. Boom. That's going through the motions. Religion is going through the motions. But look at what he says. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. I pay attention to, to not only understanding where I am in Christ positionally, but I'm paying attention where I should be experiencing him. And, and what that experience looks like. This passage teaches us that as Christians, we do not have to be intimidated by our old nature. One thing that's in the news everywhere you look is a whole idea of bullying. Were you ever bullied when you were a kid? Some of you sitting there, nope, I was the bully. Would you stand up right now? We got something we want to say to you. <laughs> did, you did you know your sin nature? Everything that you would ascribe to what a bully does is exactly what your sin nature is. It is. And the thing that we need to understand is we need to, we need to understand that we don't need to feed the bully. We, we need to realize who we are in Christ, that we have a higher calling. The way we deal with sin all comes down to the question or questions. Listen to this. What am I living for? Better yet, what am I dying to? Even better than that, what am I alive to? That's, what, that's the key to living experientially who you are in Christ. Three great acts, reckon, believing God will lead to victory over sin. Resist, fighting sin will, will lead to victory over sin. Render, suffer, excuse me, surrendering to God will lead to victory. The word render literally means to offer yourself or to present yourself. It's the language that, that goes back to the Old Testament. When, we, when the, the person who would bring the offering, they would present the offering. Do you realize that everyone who presented an offering back in those days, that offering had to be inspected to see if it was, if it was something that could be used to be sacrificed? And it's that whole idea that we are to bring ourselves holy before God and present ourselves. Paul is saying, do not offer your body to sin. Do not put yourself in situations where you're even, in, even tempted. Get rid of the Hershey bar. Listen, when you guys are serious about dieting, you won't even have this in your home. Well, maybe some of you will. But you shouldn't. You get rid of it all. Some of you are like, I'll take that off your hands. Well, okay, let me, never mind. Uh, so here it is. Temptation can lead to bondage to sin, which leads, look at verse 13. He says, do not present or use your members, how you react to the world and temptation as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. There's always a cost. Look at the cost on your outline. There's disease. Romans 7, 24, Paul said this. Oh, wretched man that I am. He was acknowledging his sin nature. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you know, he didn't just pull those words out of the air. Do you know what that was really all about? If you go back to the first century, sometimes, not all the time, do you know what some of the cultures would do? If you murdered someone, do you know what they would do? They would chain you to the body that you murdered. As that body decomposed, it would put forth disease in such a way that basically that dead body got its revenge because it would eventually kill you. 
How many of you think that's just gross? It is. But did you know that's going on in the lives inwardly to a lot of people? They're dying inside. They're chained to the bondage of sin and the body of death. It brings about disease. How many of you have ever been around someone who was full of life? I mean, when you get around them, they're just bubbly. Or all, I mean, they're just, they just bring a smile to your face when you even think about them. How many of you have ever met someone who was like that and maybe 15 years, ago, 15 years later, they're like a shell of the man they used to be? There doesn't appear to be any life there anymore. I mean, there's nothing there. There's no joy. You may tell you what I think's happened to many of them. They began to be chained to the body of death and it literally sucked the life out of them. I think I, I've been in this church 27 years. I think I've met some of those people and they're not who they used to be. Just suck the life out of them. But not only that, there's destruction. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. But then surrender leads to blessings from God, which leads, look on your outline, to deliverance. Verse 13, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. But not only that, there's a declaration. Look at verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. That's a declaration. For you are not under the law. Do you realize that you cannot make yourself good enough to God in and of yourself? Not even capable. You have to rely on who you are in Christ, that relationship and the fact that you're dealing with the, uh, that resurrection power in your life. He says, but you're not under the law, but you're under grace. That's relational. The reason we can have victory over sin is because God says we're under grace. Look at Titus 2. It says this, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this reality, in this present age. Here's, I'm going to close with this. Someone has said this, sin is like gravity. It constantly pulls you down trying to make you fall. But grace is like God giving you wings. You can soar in the air, listen, in spite of the gravity, in spite of the fact that you have an old sin nature. You can still have victory. Here's the application. God's word says we are dead to sin. That is positional truth. When we start acting like it, that is experiential truth. How do we act like it? Three words, reckon. Our old sin nature died on the cross. Resist, we do not have to sin. Render, we surrender ourselves to God. I want to ask you, if you will, to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to challenge you with something.